Okay, just get any blunt objects together, all right? If you get cornered, bash him in the head. That seems to work out. Keep together, stay sharp, and follow me. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. I say it every week. Welcome back, motherfuckers. It is Fuel Unfiltered Automotive Truth. My name is Dennis Pitcherbar. I am your host, as they say, with the most. Um, we are Sans Matt Peterson again. Um, just kind of a quickie recording I had to do during the week. Unfortunately, Matt is always, always, always busy with his family and uh, his very talented baseball skilled son. So uh, no Matt Peterson this week. But uh, as we always come up with something kind of creative, how about just... Uh, F Matt with a rusty quarter inch drive extension. Now, before we get into our guest, what I want to do is make sure that we mention the sponsors. Um, we have a lot of people that make this possible, and we truly, truly, truly appreciate it. One, ATI, ATIRacing.com. Make sure and check them out. ATI Performance Products. It's amazing that I still am flabbergasted that people have come on this show and talked about other people that did not know. Or actually said the words, oh, ATI makes transmissions? Where the fuck have you been? Anyway, ATIRacing.com. Our friends at ScreamingChicken.com. Now, I got some cool stickers from them. I put them on the back of my fourth gen. If you go to the social media, you can check that out. I'll mention all those places in a moment. And, of course, um, they were some really cool little, like, carbon fiber look for the back of my fourth gen. That's what they do. Now, they have performance parts and some other stuff, but that was something that was very nice. Our friends at Smitty Classics. Now, these guys, I've got to get them on the show. I just keep trying to figure out the time. Um, I feel responsible for uh, driving them in the direction of the passion that we all share. Um, they started this to resurrect cars. It all comes from a, one of many defunct projects I've been on. And uh, make sure and check them out, smittyclassics.com. Now, we cannot go any further, of course, without mentioning our friends at nitrousoutlet.com. Uh, my friends Nitro Dave and Jonathan have helped me spray just about everything I, I own. Uh, except for Grudge Hog. We got to work on that, but I just don't want to blow the thing up. I can't afford to, but nitrousoutlet.com. We always thank the Podfather, the man responsible for all of this in the beginning. Our hearts go out to you each and every week. Now, quick note, then we're going to get into our interview where you can find us. Fuel.buzzfeed.com is the direct to download area, but Let's not forget iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, I mean, there's like Spotify. There's a whole bunch of places that you can catch the show and download it. And of course, our social media at the Fuel Show, excuse me, at Fuel Podcast. I always goose that up. I'm sorry. At Fuel Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even TikTok. I was doing some TikToks. I love TikTok. I admit it. I'm a I'm a social media nerd. I admit I love TikTok because the one that I love the most is uh, the whole you know uh, and that fucked up and that's fucked up and that's fucked up. But anyway, listen, fuel podcast at on all social media platforms. Now that's all said and done. So let's just get down to brass tacks and go right into the interview. Um, I turned on the little thing on the uh, the old road podcaster. I can hear him breathing heavily in the background like the massive human. Just It's like it's a mass of energy. It is the one and only August Cedarstrand. How you doing today, my friend? I am doing quite well, sir, and yourself. Uh, always good when I talk to you. Now... Here's the thing, a little backstory. It's not just 
another guy in the industry. This is a friend to me. August has been a friend to me since the day I met him. We have done countless videos together. We have had a ton of fun, both on air, off the air. And if you can believe it, I tried to lift this giant Viking of a man at one point. <laughs> Good job. You tried really well. You I did well. Did, I did well. I got him off the ground. And then he used inertia to fall forward, <laughs> and his 300 and some odd pound body, uh, a, a clap, a, uh, a, we tipped over. That was what really happened. I, I think I was only 380 then. So only right. 380. Um, <laughs> yeah, you are a, a massive man, dude, and I really appreciate you coming on the program, my friend. I, you know, it's Happy just to. fun to have you. You know, I've been looking forward to this all day. So I know you and I get along really well together, and, uh, you know, we just. It just works. So it, happy to do it. Yeah. And, and, and we got a lot to talk about and, you know, unfortunately, um, let's, I don't even know. I'm going to take a stab and start here. Um, we have had several people on the show so far that have mentioned a lot about, um, corporate structure, um, the mm -hmm. takeover thereof of companies, the joining of companies, um, warehousing companies that are seeming to maybe lose grasp where companies are starting to want to self distribute, which is kind of where it all started. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, things have changed, so to speak in your world. And, uh, I, I'm going to let you tell me a little story, maybe I don't know. Do you want to go back to the beginning? I mean, I, I, maybe people need to know more about who you are first. Do you want to go into that or you want to just um, dive right in? Shoot a little background for those who don't know me. I mean, I've been working on cars probably since, God, I was five years old. I mean, that's my earliest memories of it. My dad was part of the uh, British sports car movement post-World War II. You know, a lot of GIs came home and fell in love with the British sports cars there. My dad's had a 19... 54 mg 1950 mgtd since 1954 wow. i affectionately call it my older brother so i mean <laughs> you know i mean that thing's been part of my life and his life ever you know ever since i've been alive so um but he my dad really got me started working on cars and you know manipulating materials and putting stuff together you know by the age of seven i was helping him build engines and built my first engine at seven years old with him so wow you know, and it just kept growing from there. So I cut my teeth on MGs and minis and triumphs and Jaguars and things like that growing up. But then here, you know, I get my first, you know, real full-time job out in the work world at 17. And, you know, you're a young man with money burning a hole in your pocket. And, uh, Hey, I bought my 69 Plymouth Roadmaner. I've had it ever since for God, 33 odd years now. So, uh, you know, you go from 30 horsepower to 400 horsepower and it's, it's a game changer. It changes your life. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and also so, you got to remember the fact that you, you, you were too big for the MG when you were eight years old. Oh yeah. I mean, to drive my dad's car, I have to take the seat completely out the seat bottom, <laughs> the seat back and literally sit on the floor pan with my back against the rear bulkhead. And then it's a comfortable car to drive. Why did all of a sudden <laughs> the visions of Bubba Smith from police Academy come <laughs> rolling through my head? But you know what's funny is I have an original Mini Cooper and a first-year production Morris 850 Mini. You know, the original front-wheel drive, mass-produced British car, a classic Mini. Like a, fit those, yeah. like a Morris Minor, right? Isn't that what not, they were Not called? a Morris Minor. This was the one that replaced the Morris Minor. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the old movie, uh, The Italian Job with Michael Caine, made back in the 60s. Yeah, the original one. 
the original one, not the one later with, uh, uh, what's his face, Mark Wahlberg, but the original one with Michael Caine. Yeah, those minis, the original Mar- the original classic minis. I have two of those. I fit in those fine. <laughs> no, you do not. You wear those yes, like sir. shoes. I've seen well, that movie. I, I can get in them and drive them. <laughs> <laughs> that will be a video addition to fuel the podcast somewhere in the future. That will happen. Can um, do. <laughs> well, now, obviously, I know that you've always been a Hemi guy. A, you know, you're a Mopar guy at heart. Um, you know, it, it ended up that way. I actually went to go look at a 57 Chevy was the first American car. I went to go look at to buy, but the guy wasn't there. And I drove a 66 Chevelle and a couple other things. I fell upon the roadrunner cause I didn't know Chevy from Ford from Chrysler. I come, I was coming from British cars. What do I know? Well, yeah, I mean, you're hitting the fuel bump, you know, you're hitting the fuel bump with a wrench to get it started. You oh, know, yeah. Lucas electronics, you know, junk like oh, that. Yeah. Exactly. And here I I came upon the Roadrunner, which was a a friend I played football with in high school, his older brother. He wanted to sell it so he could fund his early attempts at motorcycle road racing. So I'm like, yeah, I'll buy it. So I bought it. <laughs> now, what was in that original car? Was it a Hemi or was it a 440? What was it? No, no, no. It was just a regulation 383 four-speed hard top roadrunner one of many made the only two original parts on it that i know are factory parts that i think are the uh, the hood and the driver's door <laughs> everything else has been changed or replaced so <laughs> well a little bit obviously different well you, when you own a car for 33 years you tend to do a couple modifications to it yeah it's will the car ever be stock no way in hell stock's boring there's plenty of guys out there who want to take a car and restore it to stock with all the right paint markings and battery cables and fuel clamps and all that stuff. Hey, more power to them. They're preserving history. Me, nah. I look at it as stock as a place to start from to make the car better, faster, stops better, handles better. You know, there's lots of improvement that can be done on those old muscle cars. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the essence of hot rodding is taking it and making it your own. Now, if it was like an A12 446-pack original car, there might be – you know, some, some upheaval that you weren't going to make it stock. But if it's just a 383 yeah, car, but, they made a million yeah. of them, you know, why not? Right. But, you know, even if it was an A12, 446 pack car, or any car, I'd still modify the hell out of it and, <laughs> and make it better because that's me. Yeah, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. So you, you, you thrust yourself. Now you're, you got a, you got a roadrunner set of keys in your hand. You've thrust yourself into the auto business at 17. Where did that start? Where was that first job? Uh, the first job, the first job in the performance aftermarket that I ever had was about 20 to 21 years old thereabout. It was a year and I worked at Speedomotive Incorporated back when they were located in Santa Fe Springs off of Slauson Boulevard. Wow. And, uh, that's back when they did just mail order crank kits and some parts and things like that. And, uh, I was the driver. So I drove around all day deliver, you know, taking the crank hits to the balance shop to get them balanced and and then, uh, you know, picking up parts and dropping parts off and then end up running the back half of the warehouse, so on and so forth. I didn't end up hurting my back back then when I was 21. And that's when I really screwed up my back, picking up engine blocks. The, uh, we used to send engine blocks out to motor magic. I think it was, and they showed up the truck without the lift gate, but I had, I had engine blocks to load. So, I loaded, I remember, I remember the numbers, 2,350 pounds of cast iron in about seven minutes by hand. 
Good lord! <laughs> All engine blocks. Right? Now this is now now if, if you're listening to this and you know August, you understand that lifting engine blocks was really not that difficult. It was just the amount of them. Um, right. For the average person, remember this man has like direct relation to like Viking <laughs> history. I mean, he's if you've ever seen you know how to train your dragon, he's the dad. Just imagine, just a picture of the dad. You know, well, like maybe not the wooden leg, but he's the dad without the wooden leg. Well, let's put it this way. The Marine Corps wouldn't take me at 18 because I was already 6'7", 295 pounds. And they said, no way. You're too big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, sorry. We already have tanks in the back. We don't need any Right. <laughs> yeah, you're done. Go yeah, home. Yeah, go home. <laughs> so where did – okay, so give me, like, the sweeping history because I know that we want to okay. make sure and hit a particular topic. But give me yeah, the sweeping so history from there. Now, you've load, you know, you're loading engine blocks. You're probably juggling the fucking things at this point. Uh, loading but, engine blocks. The picking up was easy. The putting in the truck was easy it was the the twisting that did it and so that screwed my back up there i was after that i was bent over at 45 degrees by the end of the day and slept on concrete for the next like six months oh jesus so, yeah so but that's all right you know when you're 21 you bounce back and i started uh lifting again and not that i didn't stop lifting but you know i started going to the gym i should say yeah and and pumping iron and, and getting uh bigger i guess and uh <laughs> if that's possible wait, wait. And, uh, the last reference was six seven two ninety but you know it doesn't get bigger <laughs> yeah but then i was like three and a quarter oh, so okay, okay. I, I kept lifting and i got it back i didn't go back to speedomotive i went to uh the uh construction industry in california in california there in the late 80s early 90s it was a building boom okay oh i imagine uh, you name it, everybody and everyone was building houses, building commercial buildings. It's just incredible. So I had my pick and I had my I, my choice of jobs and stuff. So I just kept working construction. I ended up doing residential and commercial construction for about, God, 13, 15 years. Right. All right. And I got to the point where I was working construction during the day, going to the gym at night, and then uh, training after that. Cause I used to compete in the Scottish Highland game and games and did strongman competitions too. So, um, I kind of did all that during my twenties and into my thirties. And then after a while, it's like, all right, it's time to, uh, start settling on really on working and doing something as a career. Um, you know, I went to college, put myself through school, got a degree and everything, but it's like, all right, I got to settle down on something. Yeah. So I got tired of the construction business cause if you look at the construction business, there's no real big men who last a long time in construction unless they own the company and they have everybody else do the work. Uh, being the guy wearing the tool belt and down on the ground and everything else, no, you don't see it. So uh, from there, I went back to the performance aftermarket. And ironically, I went back to Speed Emotive. Oh. Now, by this time, they had changed owners. And the son-in-law had bought the business from the original family and he had moved it to West Covina and it expanded it into doing some crate engines and things. So, but a rich senior was still there and he's like, Hey, if you don't hire August, cause I remember what he was like, when he was 21. You're a fool not to. So, uh, George did. And I started working there. Well, I only started on the will call counter. That's all he wanted me to do was the will call counter, sell parts to people walking in the door. Uh, Within two years, I was running his business and selling probably a million plus dollars a year worth of product and racing engines. 
out of that place and did that for the next God, five and a half years. So, wow. and, and that's where I started to make a name for myself in the industry. Cause Hey, who's this guy at speed Motive selling all the engines? I was me, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the Mopar business. Cause I knew Chrysler's going in there, but all we sold were Chevrolets. I had to learn Chevrolets and Fords and all that other stuff. I mean, it wasn't hard. It only took about six months cause they're, you know, they're simple like Legos. That's why everybody likes them. So <laughs> nice dig, by the way. Nice dig. Well, I nice had to dig. get that in there. You know, oh, someday yeah, he'll have he a big block and be a man, but that's all right. <laughs> he can battle with that block for now. <laughs> I have a big block in the Suburban. Doesn't that count well, a little one. bit? That's one. You figure the smallest engine I own is 415 cubic inches, and it's a V10. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, uh, no, so speed of motive was kind of a kickoff point for me there, uh, in getting known in the industry, building a name for myself and really learning everything. I mean, cause I was selling during the day, running the shop, coordinating everything with our whole engine program. And then at night I would put engines together. So, you know, when it was all said and done, I had built after a couple of years, I'd built hundreds of engines by the time I got out of there, you know? So it's, you know, it was a great immersion and I loved that. I loved that business. I mean, I was there a slow week was 50 hours. I was there mostly 70 to almost 80 hours a week. And that's all I did. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're taking care of business during the day and then actually doing in reality, what is the fun part at the, at night? Yeah. I mean, that's, it makes sense. I mean, the hours just go by and all of a sudden you realize, oh shit, I uh, should probably go home. It's three in the morning. Yeah. But you figure at that time I'm not married. Okay. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I'm a single guy who cares what I do with my time. Right. Yeah. Oh, perfect. So, perfect point. You know, I had, I had other friends that I had already been married. They've already have kids. You know, it's like, wow. Okay. Their, their life is launched. They've got a mortgage and all this other stuff. Me, I'm just working. I'm just going to town. And my former relaxation was, well, we were done street racing by that point. We did that for a lot of years, probably about five, six years straight right out of high school. And by then the laws in California, the vehicle impound laws and seizure laws and all this other stuff were really getting punitive. And I didn't want to lose my roadrunner and my, neither my, none of my friends want to lose their cars either. And that's back when muscle cars weren't worth anything. You know, in the late eighties, you could pick up a roadrunner for 500 bucks. Nobody yeah. wanted them. Yeah. You know, you know, Camaros were expensive at 2,500, $3,500. You know, wow. That's, that's, that's too much for me. I'll take my cheap roadrunner, you know? And, uh, yeah, now good luck finding any of them for anything that's affordable. But, uh, so we stopped doing that and you know, we went drag racing and stuff, but while I was at Speedo and other places, I got involved with, uh, some trophy truck teams, worked with Carl Renner at Lucas oil. Um, God, who else? The Baldwins, when they ran the core series, we built some cool engines for those guys. Uh, we built engines for everything, land speed, record cars, um, drag boats, endurance boats, uh, road race cars, you name it. We did, we did all sorts of stuff like that. Now, now, does it amaze you to look at what, you know, cause you've really seen so much of the, you know, call it different engine builders programs of whatever label you want to put on it. Does mm -hmm. it amaze you to look at what, you know, I mean, I graduated high school in the late eighties. So, I mean, to me, if you had four or 500 horsepower, you were king of the street. Um, yeah. as of today, this literal day, when we're doing this interview, Steve Morris posted a picture of his SMX on 93 octane, making excess of 2,800 horsepower. 
That's um, insane. Yeah, I mean, does it blow your mind to think of yes. what you thought was a you know a big horsepower engine to today, which is basically what you buy in your minivan? Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, back then, if you had say a big block, all right, that was making an honest five hundred plus horsepower at the crank. Okay, because back then there wasn't the plurif- pl- proliferation. Excuse me. Of cylinder Bless head you. manufacturers, yeah, thank you. Cylinder heads and manifolds, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, a lot of guys were uh, hand porting their own iron heads, for instance. Uh, you know, oh, you have headers and this and that. So it's you know, so you know, it was all a game. But if you had an honest 500 horsepower and a car that actually worked on the street, you were king. You were the fastest man alive. You know, and then you, to some of the guys would have you know, maybe a small nitrous plate unit or a hidden unit. It's just, they were down the road. You know, yeah. that's, that's, it was up and going. So at least that's where I was. Okay. In my area where we raced up in North Orange County. Now, obviously uh, there were other places and in some other races I got to see with some of the, uh, the inner city guys there in downtown LA and the Compton area and stuff like that. I mean, they had turbocharged drag bugs that were running, low tens, high nines on the street back wow. then. So, and that, that was a serious fucking street car back then. It weighs absolutely nothing and flies like the wind, and it just leaks oil at every seam. The things were crazy. So, But, you know, that they had the money to burn. So, okay, great. It was quite an education to be part of it. So, But, and, you know, that's back then. If you wanted a 500-horsepower big block Chrysler, you'd go to Landy, you'd go to... Uh, Bill Bagshaw or someone like that and give them 5,000 bucks and they'd hand you back a 500 horsepower 440 with iron heads, but it'll make a legitimate 500 horsepower. Today, uh, you buy a crank kit, shove it in your 440, you made a 500-inch motor, you put a good set of heads on it. Well, it only made 650 horsepower. Yeah. Oh, well, too bad for you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then there's every kid on the corner with a Camaro with a junkyard LS motor with two turbos on it making 1,000 now. So, you know, whatever. Um, it's certainly changed a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean the, the, I mean, I'm not saying that I, I have nothing against junkyard LS swaps with a, with a no. turbo on it. I mean, it's, no. it's, it's kind of like that. It's like a, re, it's what's beautiful of this industry. It's this resurgence of the, the essence of hot rodding, which is yes. take something, you take junk out of the junkyard, you take a bunch of old parts, you put them together and you make right. a bunch of horsepower and make it your own. So it's, it's interesting how, it's going through trends, you know. I mean, I I, yeah. I hope that at some point we're all driving, and and I love them just because I. That's why I pimp them all the time. I right. hope that at someday all you know, both of my Camaros have a thirty eight hundred horsepower SMX in it that I can put pump gas in and only make twenty eight hundred horsepower. Right, right. Then you need the rest of the car to take it. Yeah, <laughs> transmission. What the hell is that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. You know, that's the thing is, and, and I wanted you to tell some of that story because it led to working at a particular shop with a, a very rich heritage and, and a very oh, yeah. amazing man at the helm at the time. Yes. Take yes. me where, uh, that, yeah. where that page turns. Uh, I'm working at Speed Emotive, and then uh, for whatever reason, I don't know, the owner lost his nut. I don't know. He went off. He didn't have his meds. I don't know. He, he fires me. Okay. Uh, I'm his number one salesman. I'm running his shop and he decides to let me go. 
why to this day i have absolutely no reason idea why i still don't and within about a year or so that company was out of business all right maybe he didn't want to do it anymore so you get rid of your big producer uh, fine a, i wish he would have given me some warning yeah i mean <laughs> maybe whatever. a chance to buy the fucking thing i don't something yeah something so whatever i got out of there and I interviewed at a lot of good places, didn't want to work at any of them, and then uh, went to went and started my own deal. Now, I started my own business at 2008 when the economy nosed over and started dying. So uh, it was profitable when I actually sold something, but the duration between customers got farther and farther apart. So... You know, lessons learned. Don't open don't open a business when the economy is going to hell. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's all right. Um, then about, gosh, I'm going to say 2012, uh, I was talking to a absolutely fantastic man in the performance industry, uh, Steve Whipple. Yes. Okay. Great man. Uh, I would go to hell for that man and bring back the devil for him if he wanted to. He said, go get him. I'd have that bastard back in chains in his office the next day. That's not a problem. Uh, I was uh, being, we, we call them rentals, okay? So I was a rental for about nine years or so for uh, the, big, the big red one, Edelbrock, yeah. okay? where uh, the marketing agency at the time would hire me to come work trailer events, you know, answer tech questions, things like that. And mostly I'd work uh, NHRA events you know, at Pomona, the world finals, winter nationals. Now and then they'd bring me to Vegas and wherever else. And I'd sure no problem because yeah. I knew Edelbrock parts because I used them in engine builds for years and so on and so forth. So it was no problem to talk about the parts. Well, I was talking to Steve Whipple there at the world finals and said, Hey, do you have, you know, there's that awkward part where it's quiet. You don't know what to say next to either body. I'm like, Hey, Steve, do you have room for a guy with talent at Edelbrock? He's like, are you available? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> Gives me his business card. Have send me your resume tomorrow morning, Monday. You bet. So I'm up all night tuning my resume and send it to him. And three months later in February, I started working at Edelbrock. So now that, that was 2012. That was 2012, and I started February 2013. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now you got to yeah. be happy at this point, because I mean, and oh, I would, Mark. and I would, and it just so you know, I would completely agree with you. Uh, Steve Whipple is an amazing person. I could tell you stories that will align with where we're going with this. Uh, yeah. Questioning, if you want to call it, um, on the same level. Um, but then again, you're also then not only paired up with Steve Whipple and so many other people, but it's also the one and only Vic Edelbrock Jr. Yes, yes. So my first day on the job is to meet Vic at the foundry out there in uh, Riverside, River, you know, Hemet San Jacinto area, where he gives me a private, you know, a, a personally led tour of the entire foundry, how it works, what they do, everything at the foundry. And just listening to that man for hours, it's like watching a, you know, it's like it's like watching a little kid show you his his Hot Wheels collection or something like that that he's so excited and happy about. You yeah. know, and I don't mean to mean that in in a belittling or uh, you oh, know, no, childlike phrase. No, no, no. no, I totally he, he get what you're saying. I I totally get what you're saying. Super excited and happy. You know, this is his foundry. These are his manifolds and his cylinder heads and his water pumps and, you know, all down the line being cast. He's very proud of what 
you know, the company was doing and he should be, I mean, you know, it started, you know, from his, his dad started making that slingshot, uh, Ford flathead manifold back in 1938 to an empire, yeah. you know, one of the 800 pound gorillas in the industry. So, and then the second day, of course, was a tour of manufacturing back in Torrance by Vic the next day. So, uh, you know, you, you go from being a kid growing up with, you know, on British cars and you get into muscle cars. And then of course you start learning all the, all the car companies. And I mean, I remember my friends and I go into the drag races there at Pomona and, you know, here we're a bunch of 19 year old, 20 year old kids who don't know up from down compared to everybody else. And, uh, you know, we're walking the midway, looking at all these guys working the trailer saying, wow, these guys really know their stuff. We didn't even want to talk to them because we didn't want to show how much, how little we knew to anybody, you know, <laughs> he's going to stand so, there and smile and yeah, oh, these are awesome. I don't know what the fuck this is, but it's awesome. Yeah. We, yeah, we just grab catalogs and go home and read them. You know? yeah. So, and here I end up later in my life working these, working these places, <laughs> you know, my, you know, my forties and into my fifties. So, um, you know, so ended up starting there and talk about a dream job. I mean, for me, I get to work with Vic Edelbrock, the man, a living legend, literally. Yeah. Uh, one of the last of the greats from the, of the founders, you know, of the performance aftermarket. I mean, you start thinking of founders in the industry and you think of Ed Iskandarian, you think of Vic Edelbrock, uh, you name it, you just go down the line. And he was one of them. And there he is. You know, I mean, it's not like, oh, hey, there he is. He's signing hats to the trailer. I'm like, no, he just pulled into the toy barn in the Corvette and he's going to his office. Yeah. Hey, we're going to lunch. You're going to lunch today with us. Oh, okay. You know, <laughs> in the back of your head, you're like, uh, why am I, why is he inviting me to lunch? I would, would, yeah. you know, and, but yeah. that was the way he was. That was, yeah. I think that's a very distinct point to make. And, and I'd love it if you wanted to elaborate from a guy who worked in that building when everybody saw Vic at either the party or when you were doing, when we were, we, I was part of it, when we were doing mm. the auctions or when he was an event or power tour or whatever, he would sign hats. I don't even know if he could even feel his hand anymore because he'd sign so many hats. Oh, he was God. always yeah, very gracious, always would talk to everybody, but there was, there was this other side and, and you touched on it, which was that, that drive for performance and the drive for the yeah. business. The drive for performance, the drive for business, the the unwavering, unfaltering commitment to excellence. Okay, uh, that's what he had. And another thing that we'll we'll touch on later with the whole uh, investment group stuff and everything else. And I want people to know this: Vic was hideously loyal to his employees. Okay, and conversely. Everyone was loyal to him because he took care of everybody. And I don't mean monetarily and all that other stuff. He treated all his employees with respect and dignity. Okay. Yeah. He was a hard charger. Yes. He wanted everyone to do well. And now and then he'd blow up on something. We're all human, but he'd come back an hour later. All right, let's figure this out. Let's go to lunch. Let's take care of business and solve the problem. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. You know, we're all normal. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't a, you know, he put his pants on like everybody else, but he was very loyal to his employees and just a great guy to work for. He never had like a down day. You know, some people come to the office with a chip on their shoulder and they're just full of hatred and bile that day. Cause you know, for whatever reason, you know, not him, 
always happy, always upbeat. How are you doing today? Let's get it done. Let's go, you know, go team. We're the fun team. Let's make it happen. And that's how he was. I mean, you see him in the videos and he's always thumbs up and everything. That's how he was all the time, at least when I was there. Okay. And it's just incredible to be around him. You know, it's like, wow, this, that's Vic Edelbrock. That's not like, you know, anybody that's the man whose name's on the wall, whose name's on my shirt, you know? So to me, it was a tremendous honor and privilege to work for that man. You know, um, I just, it's just tremendous. Yeah. I I'll never forget it. I'm glad I got to be there even towards the end of, uh, you know, his stewardship, should I say, I guess that's the right way to say it Yeah. of owning the company and being just an influence. You figure even then when I got there, um, the investment company that he had partnered with already owned the majority share of the company, like 51% or whatever, 50 some odd percent. But Vic was still a figurehead. He still, you know, he showed up to work every day. You know, how many 80 year old guys, you know, show up to work in 700, 800 horsepower Corvettes every day? Not many. No. And, <laughs> and he had every right to just say, you know what? Fuck everything. And I'll go sit on my yacht and yeah, I'll go didn't. sit on my yacht. Yeah. But he didn't do that. And, and that was the thing is, you know, I, I was going back to like the way you described him there. There was another gentleman that actually self-labels himself. Um, Mike Yeager from, uh, he's a Corvette. Uh, he has the Corvette uh, distributorship over in, uh, uh, oh God, what is it? Midwest. Anyway, yeah, his title he gave himself was chief cheerleader. And I think that's something that you would probably put on Vic as much, if not more, because he was like the chief cheerleader. You talked about him walking around the shop, talking to people. Yeah, oh, yeah, we all have bad days, and some days it wouldn't be good, and some days we'd have problems we'd have to fucking sort out. But the the, the reality right. was, I'm here to let this grow, and if you're with me, I'm going to grab you, I'm going to put you on my shoulders, and we're all going together. Right. If you're trying and trying to do your best and 100%, he was with you all the time. He would back you 100%, yeah. you know, and that was just great work for him all I'll cherish that the rest of my life and be thankful that I got that experience. And, you know, I owe that to Steve Whipple, you know, for, for taking a chance on hiring me to be an outside sales guy for the company. You know, I was up against guys who had decades worth of experience in outside sales, but none of them had the technical, the volume of technical knowledge that I had, you know, I'm an engine builder guy. I worked a will call counter. All right. <laughs> So they're like, but you know, we're going to go with him. <laughs> so they gave me the chance and I ran with it. So, um, God bless Whipple for doing that, you know? <laughs> no, no. And I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, and you know, what was unfortunate is as, as, as Vic's health decided, or decided, uh, declined was the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, it was a bummer. You know, he had gone through a lot. He had lived a yep. lot. He had lived an incredible life. I would say that that guy probably had more, good times than a million people had bad times um he just lived every moment and 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 i'm not trying to interject about me but it was one of you know you talk about the the things that you had the opportunity to do like that that private tour in the founding and the private tour in the manufacturing i never really understood why they asked me to do it but it was such an honor because this is the way vic was yeah even as much as i knew vic he took me under his arm And, you know, when I got to do, I mean, very short to just align with why I feel the same way as you is when I got to work for Hot Rod Magazine, 
The very first radio show I ever hosted was at Edelbrock in front of the toy barn. First guest, Vic Edelbrock. Yeah. I'm shitting my pants. I'm, I'm, you said it a lot different than I would have. So I'm shitting my pants. I'm freaking out. I don't know what to say. I, I've read, you know, every, I've literally, I think I've read the catalog. I've read his history. I've read everything there is posted up in the toy barn. Oh, yeah. I've met him before, but now I'm going to interview the guy. And he makes it seem right. like we've been family and friends for 50 years. That was yeah. Vic. Yes. He would make you feel like he's known you for years. You're an old buddy. And he had the amazing ability to just sit down and talk car and be a car guy. Yeah. You know, yes, he was the president of a very big corporation. Okay. But he never lost that, that grassroots, uh, you know, the, the grassroots feeling of, Hey, you know what? Here's a guy who's building the hot rod, whatever it is. And I'm making parts for him. Let's talk about it. Oh, you're yeah. building that? Cool. Well, you know, I remember any, and they tell you a story about that car or someone who owned one or, you know, he and Parnelli Jones doing something with one of those cars or whatever. And, you know, he just pulled this nugget of greatness out of the history files of his brain and just like, holy crap, he did that. You know, the rest of us are, you know, wrenching under an oak tree at night, trying to get our car running so we can go to the cruise night or go to street races that night. And here he is, you know, roaring around with all the big wigs, <laughs> you know, the, the heavy hitters back in the day. So yeah, yeah. it's just, but to him, it was like, no big deal. It's like, yeah, whatever. Hey, you're building that. That's awesome. You know, he had that, that ability just to relate to everybody. It didn't matter what you were building. It, oh, yeah. it didn't matter. And it could be, yeah, you name it. <laughs> and especially, I mean, and cars, it was also just having fun. I mean, yes. let's not, let's not, I, and this is not meant in any way bad. So if anybody's out there going to hate on me, well, fucking hate, get to the back of the line. Yeah, that, that guy could be about that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that guy could sit down and put down some whiskey with the best of them. I, I, I tell you, I have never. I have I, <laughs> the few times I have been publicly drunk while technically quote unquote at work power tour um, was when I got sucked into the Edelbrock area and I sat down in a lawn chair next to Vic and the guy got me fucking smashed. Is what happened. I mean, it was just fucking got me wasted. I'm walking around trying to keep my composure, and I've got like eight, I don't know, you know, as the joke goes, i got eight whiskey sours in me, and I still can't close a deal. But, you know, I was just, (laughs) the guy, he was, again, he was like Tommy Boy's dad, where he could like do, he was the larger life character that even with, you know, eight whiskey sours, he could still sell the guy with, you know, ketchup to white glove. Oh, yeah. Well, I think think that's that era of, it's that generation of people, you know? It's they, 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 you figure he did everything to extremes, just about work super hard, play super hard, do everything 100%. Didn't matter what it was. Yeah. Okay. And it's, I think it's just symptomatic of that generation and the, and the, and, and the performance aftermarket. I mean, come on, um, cocktails aren't a, uh, a foreign thing to a lot of people, no. you know, in the performance aftermarket. I see that changing now with investment companies, but we'll get to that. But you know, when it, when it, when it's the old guys and the old guard, so to speak, the founders of the industry, nah, man, yo, you work hard all day. You get it done. You you go till the job's finished and then, Hey, it's the weekend. It's time to play. Let's play whatever it is, you know, race, drag cars, race boats, uh, (laughs) off-road racing, you name it. It doesn't matter. We're here to work hard. We're here to play hard. And by God, we're going to, 
you know, in some cases we're going to drink real hard too. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like I said, uh, power, uh, there was, there was a certain day or two of power tour. I just still don't remember to this day. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and unfortunately there was that time and it came and it comes to all and, and, and it is something that's sad. And, and this particular time frame of life, um, we lost Vic and, and, yes. and, and I, and I still, have this amazing pride that for some reason now mike lajoy read the eulogy to the general public so to speak right um but i don't um still it literally can bring tears to my eyes to think that i was chosen to to read the eulogy to vic jr to the to the core group and this is yeah before the distilled group was there but i mean the the real core group and i still if you remember, I, I literally said, I'm going to yep. make it about five seconds into this and I'm going to burst into tears. I don't think oh, yeah. I made it that long. I started crying up there and it was because of the way he made everyone feel. And we've obviously covered all of that. And it was just one of those things that it left, it, 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 from my perspective, being I've always been considered and you have said it and others have said it. And I do lovingly say, I'm proud to say I was part of the fun team. Yes, I, I was still, the, yeah, then thank you. And I, but I was like a third cousin of the, you know, the fun team. I didn't work there. I just kind of hung out there. I'd showed up when the, when the keg got tapped. Um, but not there, a bad way to show up either. <laughs> no, not really. Actually, I kind of, I didn't ever have to really work that hard, but I had all the fun. Um, right. but there's a void, a giant void oh, in, in that company yes. at that point. Um, and it that's, was, a, it was a dark day when, dark weeks, dark months when Vic passed away, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, Hey, here's the company. We're all going along. What amazed me about Edelbrock back when Vic was with us. Okay. And this, and it really struck me about a month or so after I had been with the company a month, two months or so afterwards that, you know, here's a company with 500 so or so odd people in it, you know, from the foundry to manufacturing to R and D to uh, sales to purchasing all the, all the different facets of a big company. Everybody got along really, really well. Okay. That's a tough and, thing to, ha that's a tough thing to do. Oh my. And, and, and I don't mean just like, Oh yeah. Everyone was just pleasant to each other. Hi, how are you? And then they're shoving a knife in your back later. No, everyone to me, at least was genuinely one happy to be there and two, just happy to get along together. Hey, what do you need? Let's make it happen. Let's, let's, let's move it forward. Okay. And it was fantastic. It we talk about is just literally fun team. Yeah, it was, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure there are other people who have other experiences, things like that. But to me, it really, really amazed me how well everybody got along. You know, uh, there, there weren't a lot of butting head personality conflicts, things like that. I mean, people check that at the door because, you know, Vic's the boss and the boss says, let's go and we go, you yeah. know, and it was fantastic, <laughs> you know. And that lasted a while that did last a while. Cause it's the same core group of people, you know, even after Vic had passed away, but, uh, yeah, that all changed. And, th and that's <laughs> where we, we moved to the dark side of this conversation. Um, <sighs> it's frustrating. You know, I, 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 I don't normally tread lightly because I want this to be both of our ways of putting it. Um, right. But it, 
it frustrates me because you know I, I have seen companies become these big conglomerates. Um, you know, they they get for whatever reason. I understand. I I don't. We didn't. We don't need to like peel the onion back of why Vic teamed up with the investment group. It was obviously to start the foundry. It was to make. It was a huge gamble at the worst timing ever. He took it. It actually paid off. Um, but yeah, it, well, it all stems back to the 2008 economic collapse. Yeah. You know, even Vic said it during the day. He's all, you know, he hates bank of America. You would mention bank of America. Oh, you'd hear all sorts of bad foul language coming out of that man. He hated bank of America hit, you know, the company's line of credit went from two and a half million bucks to $2,500 overnight. Oh, Jesus Bang. Christ. You know, so, you know, a lot of companies will use, you know, they're, they're floating the company on daily budgets, you know, daily and weekly money on, on sort of like an open revolving loan from companies, you yeah. know, lines of credit and they shut it off, <laughs> just shut it off. Cause you know, the economy's collapsing and of course it didn't, it didn't rebound quickly by any means. It's taken decades, um, except for the last three years, but we'll get to that later. Trump uh, 2020. I said it. Trump 2020. God, yes. God bless that man. Anyway. Uh, yes, I'm a hardcore conservative and I'll get that out there right now. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the, you have the, this whole new age of the investment group and okay, I get it. They're coming in. They've got a lot of cash. They buy a company for whatever, and they're going to do something to it. Okay. The problem with that, that I see every damn time so far is that you have the company that's built by the founder. Okay maybe a first and a second generation, or maybe in some cases, first, second, or third, okay? And they've built this thing up, but it's still their personality in it. Yeah. Their soul, their, their everything that binds that whole big enterprise together, right? And it, that dissolves and disappears when the big, when the investment groups come on, come in. Yeah. Cause now they're going to go hire some whiz bang president guy. Okay. Here's my resume. And I'm a, I'm an MBA with a nice resume and I've, I've screwed up all these other companies. You need to hire me and damned if they don't hire them to go screw up another company. I don't get it. I don't I, get it. I, I, I see that too. And it doesn't, it, it never ceases to amaze me that people, who, for whatever reason, and, you know, I've worked as long as you have. I've always been in some sort of facet of the automotive industry. But it seems like those who are the most inept, retarded individuals that are failures seem to somehow keep getting promoted. Yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. They, they hire these guys who have, one, never run a business. Okay. Now I've, I've been in small businesses. I ran speed emotive. It was a very small company at our peak. We had 25 people. Okay. Uh, that's small compared to Edelbrock at 500 and Edelbrock is very small compared to some of the corporations out there, which are tens of thousands of employees, like an IBM or a Boeing or something like that. But, sure. but still I ran a business and then I had my own business. 
Okay. So I have to take care of my suppliers. I have to take care of the customer and it all falls on my shoulders. They hire these guys out of college that have an, a shiny business degree that have never run a business. And what I mean run a business, their name is not on a building where they had to do it, where they're hanging their cheese out in the wind. And if it fails, they lose everything. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'll be the first to admit it. My business failed miserably. My engine building business, I started it in 2008. The economy went to hell quickly after 08 and 09. I mean, from 08 to 09, I did okay. But then after that, it started going. And then my mom passes away. That just threw me to the ground. I mean, that was just... Well, that's I the kick of the nuts you didn't need. I mean, I yeah, you know, I going need, under in business, yeah. hey, you take chance in business. We know what it, you know yeah. what the risk and yeah, the reward you, yeah. is, but you right. don't need the kick in the fucking nuts of oh yeah, and my mom died. Yeah, and I was very close to my mom. Okay, and uh, but it just threw me to the ground. It destroyed me. And if it weren't for, and then then all of a sudden in 2011, my whole life turned around. I I met my wife. God bless her. I actually met her in 1978 in the fourth grade, but we finally got to the point where we could marry each other in 2011, in 2012. Uh, but that's a story for another day. Um, and then Whipple hires me to Edelbrock, and all of a sudden my life did a 180 degree change and I'm running, you know? Yeah. So to go from, I'm going to lose my house. Uh, I had to go bankrupt. I admit it. You know, so what? best thing I ever did was flush all those credit cards away and get rid of them. I don't have any to this day. And it's the best damn feeling in the world yeah. <laughs> to not have a credit card. Everything I buy, I own. Yeah, I love if it. you can't anyway. pay cash for it, then you can't afford it. Yeah. Then you can't afford it and you don't need it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, if it weren't for Whipple saving, you know, essentially giving me a job. Now he didn't know any of this. He just hired me because he thought I could fit the, do the job. So, but anyway, uh, moving into that, back to back to back to get on point. They hire these guys who are out of college, who haven't had their cheese in the wind. They haven't known uh, despair or discomfort or the loss of a business or the failure of a business. You learn more from a business failing than you do one that is successful. Okay, because <laughs> and in my opinion, all no, right, I would agree with you. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are other guys out there listening. I said, yeah, I learned a lot from my first business failing, you know, and so on and so forth. So, but then they get these guys who are learned business guys who don't know up from down. And they come up with all these stupid ass ideas to run a company. Now, never mind the guy who built the empire, whose name's on the wall, Edelbrock, didn't do any of that stupid crap. Yeah. Okay. And now we're doing all this stupid crap and the company's hurting badly. <laughs> I saw it. I lived it. I was there. You know, I mean, you just can't do those things and have it work. You know, um, I mean, there's other big companies in the industry where they started selling direct to the customer, undercutting their WDs a lot of the time. That's a recipe for disaster because now there's no loyalty from the manufacturer to the WD that goes away. Vic Edelbrock would never do that. He's like, no, no WD sell parts. We're a manufacturer. We make stuff. They sell it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, my first day on the job, like I said, was at the foundry. And at the end of the day, we're leaving, you know, we went to the Mexican restaurant and had a late lunch and everything. 
And I, and I'll never, ever forget this. Vic puts his hand on my shoulder and starts and points at me with his other finger, right? Says, look, kid, the only thing you have to do in your job, and he's all, it's real simple. Just take care of the customer and they're going to take care of us. I said, yes, sir. And you think about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, whatever. No, seriously. If you take care of your customer, you make sure that if there's a problem with a part, you get them a new part or you fix that part. Uh, so they don't have downtime. Okay. If there's a return that has to be written, just take it back. Who cares? So what if the carburetor really works fine, but the, the customer didn't know how to set his fuel pressure, but they, but your WD wants to return carburetor. Just take the carburetor back. Who cares? They're going to send you an order for 10 more because they know that if they have a problem with it, well, you're going to fix it for them. Yeah, it's not, just, it's not just yeah. shove the one unit down their throat. I don't care. It's yeah. looking at the big picture of stuff. It's looking down the road and taking care of the customer. Because if you can take care of your customer, the orders fly in. You don't have to go out and you know, dial for dollars and pound the door all the damn times. Give me an order. Give me an order. No, forget that. Every guy who had every man or woman in this industry who has their own business, all right, be it a very small one to a big, big business, they know exactly what their business does, okay? They know how much stuff they need to buy generally all the time, all right? The last thing they need is some outside sales guy coming in and say, hey, you know, I'm going to shove this order form in your face, and I need 100 units bought from you. They're going to say, pound sand, I'm not buying 100 units when I sell five a month. Why would I put a hundred on the shelf yeah. just to make your order look good? No, I'll buy my five. Like I always do, but Hey, I'll try this other one too. Hey, you got it. <laughs> you know, so on and so forth. And yeah, maybe you're not making big giant numerical money jamming sales every damn month, but it's a nice steady feed and a steady feed. If you have three to four to 5% growth every year, that's money in the bank. Yeah, that's better. And hey, I got 10% this month and now I'm down 20 the next month and then I'm up eight and now I'm down 15. You know, shine that. I'd rather have slow and steady over time because that gives you operating capital all the time. You know, that's how I look at it. But what do I know? I just got a history degree and I'm just a dumbass salesman. So what do I well, know? but that see, that's the problem in the next chapter of this conversation. Um, <laughs> you're no longer a salesman. No, I am not. I was uh, shown the door about, oh gosh, about a month ago, about a month and a week ago. So uh, first week of January, I was told to meet the VP in a hotel room here in Arizona where I live in Phoenix, or I live north of Phoenix. He was down in Phoenix. And oh, here's your severance package and turn in your computer and you're done. <laughs> what? Now, the okay. Thing, now, now. <laughs> I do want to back up just a touch. You were in Southern California for a very long time. Born and raised. Was there for 51 years. Well, no, no, no. What I was saying is for work. <laughs> your, your original yeah. sales area was... My, orig my original sales area was Southern California. Okay. So that was Barstow to... Oh, not Barstow. Bakersfield to San Diego. Okay. okay. And then you and then that's, that role expanded, obviously. To the, to the state of Arizona, which I was very happy about. And then it got turned into, oh, by the way, here's Nevada, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. 
Um, a little bit of a jump, a little bit of a responsibility, probably a little stress. I would imagine. I went from 92 accounts to 243 out of the 243, 176 actually spent money. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Spread over seven States. So, and during this last year in 2019 on July 6th, my wife came, was diagnosed with endometrial cervical cancer, which thank God they, on a, on August 6th, she went in for operation. They removed a five pound tumor that was growing on the inside of her, uh, uh, lady parts there. So they got that taken care of and she's been through radiation and we're going to go to a PET scan here at the end of the month and hopefully she'll be uh, cancer free. So, and God uh, bless. I hope she is. Oh God. You, if you really want the two things in life that have really uh, shaken me to the core. I mean, to where you're, you're doubting your belief system. Okay. And what makes you, you is when I lost my mom and then the thought uh, of losing my wife. Yeah. I mean, it is the most horrible feeling in the world. I mean, we're car guys. Okay. So, and almost every car guy will relate to this. We can fix stuff. Yes, we can fix a car and we can paint a car and we can make it faster and better looking and better handling and better stopping and all the things that make a hot rod a hot rod. Sure. Okay. Forming metal and paint and whatever. But that also translates into, hey, we can fix the washing machine too. Yeah. All right. And the dryer. And yeah, let me hang a new door in the closet or whatever. Put a new garbage disposal in. After a while, you kind of get complacent that, well, if it breaks, I can fix it. It doesn't matter what it is. And we do when a close relative either passes away or gets cancer, you can't fix it. You're powerless. And, and that's very frustrating. Oh. I mean, you can't, because you, it's such a, it's, it's a primordial thing for men to want oh. to fix stuff. I mean, that's just what we do, whether we do yeah. we, most of the time, even if you're, whether you are out there listening and you're happily or unhappily married or whatever you yeah. are, you still, even if you're trying to, even if you're fixing it wrong, you're still trying to fucking fix the thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm happily married by the way, so I couldn't be happier. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm starting to look back at the timeline of all this stuff. So that's July 6th. She's diagnosed August 6th is the surgery. That was one day. Okay. They got it out. Everything's good. And then she's got to heal. And then by September or so things change. A couple of big changes happened at Edelbrock. One, uh, Steve Whipple, God bless that man. I love him to death, and I will till the end, end of my days. <laughs> he <laughs> he does not back down from anybody, okay? He's an incredibly talented, incredibly smart man, okay? Businessman, very perceptive with people, personalities, everything. The guy's just... I, I, you know, I can't say enough about him. Okay. Yeah. Good things about him. I just, I love working. I loved working for him and love being under his tutelage, his guidance. He, uh, would not take, uh, he, he, he basically stood up to the, uh, the guy we, they have in charge. Are we referring, there, no, just say it. It's captain Cardigan, isn't it? Yes, it is. Captain okay. Cardigan. Okay. Captain and, Cardigan comes in yeah. And Captain Cardigan that, li likes you to kiss the ring. Let's just oh, say Jesus that. Christ. Okay. And, uh, so, well, that's not Steve. Okay. If he thinks you're doing something wrong, he'll tell you. 
okay. And hey, you know what? That's honest as hell. <laughs> you know, you, you can't put a price on that. That's that's valuable if you ask me. Well, anyway, they said, okay, you're done. They didn't fire him, but they moved him to the foundry. You go there. You get out of our hair. So they put him in the okay. closet. Basically, they shoved him to the foundry where he's doing done great things with the foundry. Because wherever Steve goes, he makes greatness. <laughs> okay, because he's he's very perceptive and a very good businessman. And so he's the foundry, and they bumped up the national guy to now the VP of branded sales. Okay, fine. All right, I get it. That's fine. Around that same time, probably mid-September, the workload on me went up through the ceiling. Now, they were negotiating with another guy, I think, around that time who will eventually take my job two days after I am fired. All right. And whether he knew he was going to get it, I don't know, but, uh, he did whatever. Uh, (laughs) and he's also a relative of the national sales manager, they're cousins. So it is what it is. Yeah. So, uh, whether he knew it or not, I don't know, but there are too many other things that I'm looking back over the timeline and emails I have printed out and things like that to where the screws were just starting to get turned up. And I even talked to the other sales guys there on the Edelbrock team who shall remain nameless as they still work there. And I don't want to jeopardize their employment. Uh, I asked them, Hey, did you guys have to do what I'm doing? They're like, no, Mike, really? Okay. So it comes down at least to me and everyone's, you know, there, there's the old saying, there's my side, there's their side, the truth somewhere in the middle, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but to me, it looks like I was set up for failure because I knew they didn't have it in the budget to hire the other guy. Okay. Someone has to go. I'm on the West coast. Everyone else in the sales teams in the Midwest, I get the ax. He starts two days later. And then, so. yeah, that's, see, that's the thing about that bothers me about that whole thing. And, and it's not just like if they just legitimately, it's, it's like, do you, you, you know what? It goes right back to what you said earlier. I have to, I wouldn't say I run a business. I, I help manage a business for two great guys that hire me. What I'm right. getting at is even at my present position, you know, slinging tint and paint protection, whatnot. Right. It's all about communication. You know, right. it, it, it's whether it be internal with your fellow employee, whether it be to your customers, which has to be 110%, even if right. something's wrong or something's about to change, in the end, if you just say, this fucking bothers me or this has to happen, is far more of a stand-up thing to do then what seems to be conniving? Yeah, to me, I, I look back at the whole thing and the timeline of everything and what was happening. And uh, yeah, I think they I was set up in a coordinated effort to get me out of there. Rather than just look me in the face and say, hey, we're going to do this. They, they, they start building up this whole file of crap that I can't do. Yeah. Okay. You know, it, it, it was just immense paperwork. And then 
I get in trouble for not being out on the road because I'm doing all this paperwork. Well, hey, I got to do the paperwork. And then I go on the road. Well, hey, how come you're not getting your paperwork done? So it's just back and forth. Well, yeah, didn't you tell me that you got some sort of thing like, hey, we need you to contact all your uh, accounts in like 48 hours. You have 270 of them. How the fuck can you do that? I was thinking about that today, and I actually had fun with math, you know, playing with a calculator. Um, You know, uh, this was an email on Sunday night. Hey, I want everyone to reach out to all your accounts and find out who's going to order and who's going to not. I need this by Tuesday morning. Okay, I have 243 accounts. 176 actually order something, actually spend money on a regular basis. The others are inactive or whatever. Okay, fine. Or haven't ordered in a couple of years. At 176 accounts in an eight-hour day, I have an average. I can spend two minutes and 27 seconds per account to get a yes, I'm ordering, no, I'm not, and how much. <laughs> and I could do how it in an eight-hour day. How are you supposed day. to do that? How yeah, in and- the fuck are you supposed to be able to accomplish that goal? I can't. I didn't. Yeah. So after seven years of 100% uh, work reviews. Right. Yeah. And I have them all. I can bring them. I can show them to anybody. Uh, all of a sudden I'm fired for what was it? Uh, inactive, you know, in, in a God, I don't even remember now. Insufficient work performance. Okay. Now doing all this, I was also volunteered to be crate engine production manager for the company. Okay. So, now you got to sell. I got to go out there and develop crate engines for Edelbrock. Okay. Well, you know, my ears go up at that because that's what I've done my whole life is develop and build engines, yeah. you know, or at least my professional life, I should say. And, uh, and on the side too, when I was younger, but whatever, uh, that is, they're like, heck yeah, I want to do that. And I'm like, okay. You know, well, is that open to me? Fine. Okay. If I'm not doing the job on the sales side for you anymore, for whatever reason that you don't like now, let me go do this. Nope. That's a, that's a job in California. You can't do that now. <laughs> what? So they basically, they wanted me gone so they could have the money to hire the other guy. So, um, that's, that's how I see it. <laughs> well, I you mean, know. it really comes down to this, you know, it's just what i hate to say i've seen it i've seen it in a lot of heritage companies not every one of them i don't want to i don't want to throw everyone into this um i don't want to be hillary clinton and say something stupid like the deplorables um right i've seen it happen in big companies before and it's like i guess i just i don't understand it because usually the people that are at the root of this evil are people that either, as we had talked about already, people that either don't understand what this industry is like, how much loyalty and how much love and passion for the company or whatever the position is, it's like that doesn't matter anymore. It's like it's just can you produce a number? I don't care even if your clients hate you. I don't care what your reputation is. I don't care what it is that might come of, you know, sinister type activity behind closed doors. Yeah. But if you hit a number, you're our hero. Right. If, if, if you're out there and you're making, you're, you're making sales, you're moving the needle, you're taking care of business then go for it. You know, uh, 
these the same guys looked me in the eye earlier in the year when we had a big sales conference in North Carolina. I said, we love you. You're doing great. Keep doing what you're doing. Eight months later, I'm now insufficient work performance. Yeah, that doesn't what? happen overnight. I, no, I, no, uh, now, I'll be the first to admit, was I a little slowed down by my wife getting sick? Yeah. Okay, I'll admit it. Yeah, my wife got cancer, and it effed me up for a little bit. Did I take the FMLA, you know, Family Medical Leave Act? No, I kept doing my job. Did I answer my emails? Yeah, I kept answering my emails. Did I answer the phone? I hold that damn phone when I was working full-time more than I ever held my wife, sadly enough. Uh, you know, my customers never went without Okay, just to be shown the door for it. Really, people, you know, well, well, doesn't I mean, but that goes back to the difference between, yes, the investment group type of management. And if Vic, let's say, if let's say Vic's still alive, this would have not happened, it would have never fucking happened, and you know it never would have happened. And I know that in my heart, and that's the best part is I got to work under the last of Vic Edelbrock, okay, and the old company, okay? Yeah, am I a little bitter? Sure, I'm bitter about it. I mean, I essentially worked for that company for 16 years, okay, in in terms of total time as a rental and then seven years full-time employment. Just to see it go from, wow, that's Vic Edelbrock and this is one of the 800-pound gorillas in the industry to, you were just another company owned by an investment group, yeah. you know, and they hire some jack wagon to come in and, and F the whole thing up who makes bad decisions right and left, even promoting people who shouldn't be in positions of command. And maybe that's another problem I have. Maybe it's me. I don't know. If I see something's wrong, I say something. Okay. You know, I respect authority and I know how to go up the, the chain of command, but if it's wrong, I'm going to tell you. And that's probably my problem. Well, no, no, <laughs> I don't that's society's problem right now. Everybody, everybody's too offended, and if you say something, it's how dare you. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to kiss somebody's ass to save my job. I won't do it. If it's wrong, it's wrong. There, I mean, you know, I was raised, you either do right or you do wrong, and you make a conscious effort on one or the other, period. You know, that's how it is. I don't care what the problem is. I don't care what somebody has to say. You either do the right thing or you do the wrong thing. That's just how it is, you know? Well, and that's, that, you know, that all blew me away because even before, you know, your, you know, relief of duty, whatever the fuck you want to call it, um, (laughs) I was uh, ceremoniously uh, departed on a blazing ship of oil. I don't know, whatever. Um, There was a lot of people that I would, I mean, this is just this past year. Um, Oh God. In the past year. Yeah, they fired 154 people as of me, January 6th or whatever it was. Yeah. But I mean, like year. SEMA, PRI, SEMA, yeah. I saw a bunch of people like, uh, what fucking shirt do you have on and why? And then I saw even more at PRI. I'm like, uh, <laughs> didn't you like grow up in that fucking building? I mean, wasn't your dad like... Yeah, And you know what I'm talking about. It was like, wait a minute. You were supposed to fucking get buried in the concrete in the back. How the fuck did that happen? And it it just goes back to the investment thing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There, a lot of companies demand, demand outright loyalty to the company. We want you loyal to the company and blah, blah, blah. Okay. 
but these companies now owned by investment groups run by guys who don't know, you know, a lug nut from a piston. Okay. Cause they went to some big shiny name your Ivy league school and was whatever frat they were in. They were a frat boy and you know, there's somebody's son in error. Now they're, now they're a CEO. Okay. Or they're a VP or they're something else. Now they're going to come in and tell you how to do business. And, oh, now you've got an interview for your job. You were otherwise doing fine. Uh, no, you suck now. Really? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's the bo- You know what? I just all of a sudden had the vision of the Bobs. I don't know if you know the reference, but the... Oh, uh, yeah, Office Space. Yes, oh, yeah, the Bobs. It's like, you know, well, let me... I wouldn't really call it missing it, Bob. You know, let me tell you how my day starts. You know, I come in yeah, the back door about 15 minutes day. late. Yeah, I, I generally... Yeah. I just yeah. space out. What do you mean? I just stare at my computer like I'm working. Um, it, it, it pains me to hear this stuff and it scares me as much as this scares me. I've also interviewed smaller companies that seem to see a resurgence of this, but on a smaller scale. So it's like, as the big companies all get, you know, bought up and, and the big red one got bought up or they bought up or however the fuck it happened. Well, they got bought up in 09. (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 but I mean, just recently with the whole merge with the comp group. Oh, yeah, with the whole comp group, yeah. The same investment group that owns Zettelbrock now has bought, you know, it's it's public knowledge. It's They bought the CAMS group, so, and, uh, you know, uh, Ron Coleman, who owns that, shrewd operator, the man knows how to make money. So, uh, okay, great, but I hope to God that uh, – the comp cams group is smart enough not to let uh, captain cardigan in to run their show too. Cause he can just kiss that company goodbye too. So, and, and that's the thing. There's a lot of great people over there. I mean, I, you know, I had uh, who was, I was talking to, I had him on the show and I was given uh, Trent a hard time and I love Trent to death over a comp. And it was like, you know, we were talking about like, you know, getting sponsors for my race car. And I was like, well, fuck Trent. He's never going to give me any money. I love the guy. Right. I think Trent's a great guy. But fuck you, Trent. You're never going to give me any sponsorship money. I mean, it's it's kind of like I can still love someone in the business. It doesn't just because Trent doesn't right. Trent doesn't write me a big comp cams check for my fucking race right. car. It doesn't mean I don't love the guy. I'm just giving him no. a hard time. You know? Of course. But it's like that point of there is this mutual respect that used to be. And this whole entire conversation is a perfect example of how someone has been around it even longer than me. Now it's not. And that's just, yeah. that's the problem I have with it. It's like, I just, I think it's ultimately, I hate to say this, and I don't mean to be a blanket totalitarian no. person, no. but I think it's going to be the demise of a lot of companies. It's going to be the demise of what is the heart of what makes the automotive industry so awesome. Do yes. I think it can be resurrected by small companies going back to that basic philosophy? Yes. But the, 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 as you call them, the 800 pound gorilla, the Edelbrock or the comp or the, you know, or the whatever. MSP or the Holly or whoever. I mean, look at the poor guys at MST. MST, when it was run by Russell Stevens, was a fantastic company there in El Paso. They made the best ignition systems. Yeah. Bar none across the board. Didn't matter what it was. Whatever the vehicle, you bought an MST distributor, it was a good piece. Okay. You bought a control box, it was a good piece. All the top fuelers, funny cars, they're all running big mag 44 magnetos and everything else. Look at them now. The investment group comes in, 
buys it up, makes everybody interview for their job, fires most of the people who'd been there forever from when the company started small and got to be big. Oh, no, you're no good now. What? You know, it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Now they've moved some of the manufacturing offshore when all that stuff used to be made in America. It's ridiculous. For what? To make the bottom line better so your investment group makes a bigger profit margin? I understand that businesses have to make a profit. You got to have a profit. Otherwise, you're going to go out of business. I know. I experienced that firsthand with my business. But at the same time, if you're going to compromise the very core things that built that business and you get rid of those, the business is dead. I don't care what they make. It doesn't matter what your product or your service is. The minute you kill that corporate culture, that was the successful formula that built it to that empire that made it attractive to the investment group. And now you go change all that. It's crap. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I mean, you know what? I just, I, I think I had, I might've just thought something that was smart. I really, I'm kind of scared to even say this. Uh Oh, <laughs> this is the way it just like flashed through my head, August. Okay. The body can live without the mind, but the body cannot live without a heart. Correct. Um, Correct. That is really because I mean, th- the bottom line is all of this shit, nobody needs. Nobody needs any of it. Everything in the performance aftermarket that fills the halls in Las Vegas for the SEMA show and fills the Indianapolis Convention Center there for PRI, two big shows, and name any other car show in between, Power Tour, all that stuff, nobody needs a damn thing anybody makes. It's all discretionary income. They buy it because they want it. And, and that, that's it. Yeah, and that's uh, no no pure words have ever been spoken. It's, but and I just I, did. What, did that actually sound as smart as I thought it was? Yes, you did. You actually, you know, you got to you got to write this down. You got to time date it and say, Hold on. you had a moment of brilliance. I'm going to burn that little pieces of wood and sell it to Saturday Market. <laughs> Fucking hey, um, but it's true. It's just yeah. really true. I mean, it's just that you you just can't have a business. That has no heart. I mean, it can have no brain. And if it's a good product, people will buy it. And you can just sit there and go, duh, and give it to them. Um, But if it has no heart, it will never last. It will just, it just is going to die. The same guy who fired me is the same guy I called and told, my wife has cancer. All right. You know, and I got tears pouring down my face. My voice is trembling. And he's like, no worries. At Edelbrock, we're a family. Take care of your wife. Take care of business. The same guy eight months later said, no, insufficient work performance. You're fired. That's a cold, cruel son of a bitch. That's all I got to say. Yeah, that's... You know, go ahead, enjoy your MBA and have a great life and enjoy fucking that company up and driving it into the ground. I know my conscience is clear because it won't be me doing it. So... Well, you know what? Here's the thing that is the beauty of the auto industry. It is truly a, a place where the Phoenix can rise over and over. Now, yes. I don't know. I don't know if you, you know, maybe you were, you know, well, obviously you didn't have credit cards. So I know you were smart. There's probably, you're kind of like Uncle Eddie. There's a bunch of jars filled with cash <laughs> buried all over your property. Well, um, I won't say there are, I won't say there aren't, but good luck trying to find them and getting through me and my, my arsenal. <laughs> 
I do live in Arizona. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it, one of the many reasons I would live there. Um, you, we've, you know, just it's so everybody knows if you're listening to this, I have already one of my many supposed and still very valid choices of exit plans when I stop working is I'm going to live in a tent in the back of your driveway so dude done i'll build you a garage apartment when the shop goes in how about that <laughs> god damn it don't tempt me um <laughs> what i'm getting at is the phoenix will always rise if you have a good heart and and there is a there i don't know if you're ever, i don't know when you're going to be ready to go back or whatever that you know whatever that next step is for you but the, there is no doubt in my mind and i think that there's no doubt in a lot of people's minds if they know who you are and have met you and have worked with you, let alone have just been side by side in whatever capacity, there's a place for you where that still, where that heart of the company is about passion and product and customers and the way it should be. There's a place out there that is begging so. for a person like you. I hope so. I mean, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what I want to do right now. Uh, I'll be a hundred percent honest. I am really disenfranchised with a lot of it. Not so much, you know, hot rods and race cars and things like that. That's, that's our hobby. Well, yeah, that's I don't see you going out and like burning your fucking roadrunner. Oh, up just hell no. I, no, no. I mean, I got a Hemi block. Finally, I'm going to put a Hemi in the thing. I'll build a 500 inch, 800 horsepower street Hemi and just go have fun with my car. So that's the fun stuff. I'm just disenfranchised with a lot of the, you know, the way a lot of guys run business and it's happened to me twice. Now it's a small business. I'm doing well. I'm making the guy money. I'm making the guy millions of dollars and running his business. All he had to do was count his cash at the end of the day yeah. and I'm fired for it. I'm working for a big company. Uh, I'm trying to go above and beyond, you know, making videos, uh, doing SEMA interviews with you. Uh, doing whatever the job requires, going to shows, things like that, just to be shown the door again. It's like, really? Yeah. You know, you, you, everybody demands all this damn loyalty, but they don't, it's not reciprocated back, yeah. you know? And that's, that's what really bothers me. You know, I mean, yeah, I can go work for somebody else and everything's a means to an end. I mean, why do we work and earn and have a job? Well, it's not convenient to grow your own cow. And then turn that cow into steak and leather and everything else. Cause that takes a lot of time. It's not convenient to grow your own food all the time. Yes. Some people do, but not everybody has that ability. Uh, it's not convenient to have a rubber plant to make tires for your car. Okay. So we work to earn money as a means to an end. So I can go to the tire guy cause someone else is making tires. I need to buy those tires for my car. You know, that's why we work because we need money to pay for stuff because yeah. <laughs> we're I, not it, all subsistence farmers, you know? No, I mean, it, it, yeah, if I was Amish, maybe I wouldn't be worried about all this stuff. But, you know, the, it's just, I don't know. I don't know really what Amish people are like. I just see them in buggies. I just figure they don't really need that much. Um, no, they're hardworking folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to like the Amish to come no. in and you know, protest me. Um, right. Throw, I just, butter at your, throw butter at your house or something like that. <laughs> um, I just, I just, it's, it's why I wanted to do this interview with you. I just thought it'd be something I think people would get a, a kick out of. I think they would find some insight in, I think they would find some, uh, you know, there's a few out there that might even take a kick in the balls over it. And, you know, we, I think that we both played very well in the sand together on that one. I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I, you know, let me get this point across. I love the company. 
Okay. I love the product. I stood behind everything we made. Okay. Uh, yes, the stuff's made in the USA. Yes, there is a lot of greatness still there, but up on the upper echelon of management on the big corporate level, foundry excluded, uh, I'm talking manufacturing and, and corporate overall, it's they're making bad decisions, okay, that will have long-reaching effects, not only business-type decisions, but killing corporate culture, okay? Uh, the, the, it's like you said earlier, the heart of the company, that passed, that ended when Vic passed away, sadly. You know, we tried to keep it going for as long as we could, but ultimately, once he is gone, he's not there. His influence, his charisma, his personality, his everything that made Vic Edelbrock is not there with us anymore, you know? And it doesn't matter who you're going to put in the driver's seat. They're not Vic. I'm sorry. They're not. That man was great. You know, I'm sure that he, he pissed off a lot of people over his career. There's, there's no way you can't, you know, you're not gonna make everybody happy, but I tell you, he was always fair to me and I'll, I'll thank him forever for letting me work at his company and being part of that, being part of that, you know, even though it was a small piece, I'll never forget it. So, um, you know, and, and the same goes to Steve Whipple. I'll be thankful for that man for the rest of my life and i'm proud to call him friend yeah yeah you know he's a great man so it's it's tough you know um he's the one who should be running the company not the jackass they have right now so that's my opinion well you know and and uh god that's the white russian talking now it's (laughs) so so let's do this (laughs) let's end this with i don't i don't want to wish the demise on any particular person no, um, I don't. I, I don't want to see it go. I really don't. But, I really don't. But it, it will change. Yeah. But do this for me, so we can we can mark this. Now we're in. You know, because these are going to be evergreen. Obviously, we're uh, you know February twenty first, twenty twenty, twenty first, right? Yeah. Um, no, yeah. Twentieth. Twentieth. Excuse me. Twentieth. Yeah. Twenty 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 twenty. <laughs> no, no, no. It's twenty first. It's twenty first. Yesterday was twenty 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 twenty. I think. Yeah, it doesn't no, today matter. Today is Thursday the twentieth. Is it? You need to look at the calendar. Jesus, I don't know. I just, I, hey, listen, I only work on the days with why. Let's stay on point. Here's the point. I want you to give me your name, the date, and a big fat I told you so. So when they play this or someone hears this years down the road, if there's a society left, they can go, eh, fuck, he knew. Uh, I'm August Cedar Strand. I used to work for Edelbrock when it was great. The date is February 20th, 2020, and I hope to God the company is still there. And if it's not, I was right, and I told you so. And that's the way you end an interview. My friend, August, um, I thank you so much for coming on the program. You are always welcome. Um, I uh, One day when I'm living, when I'm, your, you know, when I'm the wash boy, and I'm just washing up that Hemi to, you know, to earn my uh, sewage hole and my water for my trailer in the backyard... Um, we will sit out and uh, face our, as I say, face our rocking towards towards the west, and yep. uh, enjoy many many whiskeys or white Russians. Either one's good with me. Whatever you want. Today it's a white Russian. Tomorrow it'll be a gin and tonic. So it's all good. <laughs> like to mix uh, it up a little bit. Well, you can't. You, you want to stay. You want to get stale. <laughs> all I got to say this: you're always welcome here in the Grand Canyon State. There's a room for you whenever you want to get here. 
And uh, by God, I'm glad you're my friend, and I'm happy to be on your program. And anytime you want me to come on, I'll be happy to come and talk about anything. Oh, so, thank you so not much, a problem, man. My friend. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Take care, and God bless America. God bless America. That man said it right. All right, buddy. <laughs> we'll we'll talk soon. You got it. Um, that's going to conclude that, uh, you know, that was a great interview. I mean, it really does kind of bring down to earth what's so much, um, what people need to hear. You know, there's a lot of heart in this industry. There's a lot of things that people need to know about. And there's a lot of things that, you know, unfortunately are the ugly truth and it can, it can throw a fat fucking curveball right in the junk. And, uh, that guy didn't deserve that. Uh, let's, let's. Let's not go out on a total sour note. I got to make sure and thank my sponsors. We got to thank our friends at ATI Racing, ScreamingChicken.com, of course, SmittyClassics.com, and my friends at NitrousOutlet.com. If you want to get in contact with us at Fuel Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, even TikTok, it is the new medium of the hip and uh, in kids, as they say. But uh, you know what? We just want to thank everyone for coming on. This is not the most elaborate show with a bunch of sound effects and music in the middle, but uh, nevertheless, um, with a lot of heart. So thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode. <laughs>